0: My name is Simon Lockhurst and this is Season 2 of Ear Movies, Conversations with Buckthumper. I was lucky enough to be invited to the Torres Strait on a number of occasions to work on two series of radio plays for Queensland Health. It's a different magical world up there, really, another country. The ideas in this story came from my experience there, just from listening mainly. Kazapoyan was the name of the show that came from those visits and you can find it online if you want to hear it. It's spoken in Yumplotok, the language of the Straits. Sylvia Tabua was broadcast from Radio 4MW on Thursday Island for years. I was very happy when she agreed to read this story. I hope you like it.
1: Thursday. After the flight from Cairns and wait at Horn Island Airport for the old bus to the wharf, the ride on the ferry was a delight. The hiss of the sea against the hull, the blue sky, the warmth, the occasional spray of water. Danny Kitchener almost regretted taking out his laptop and checking his email. The other passengers heading to Thursday Island were a mix. There were two family groups and two island men chatting away. Then there were a couple of backpackers and a few professionals who Danny guessed were government officials and health workers. Danny sat by himself. Only one other person, a young island woman, also sat alone. After a while, Danny noticed she was crying. He wondered if he should ask if she was all right. When he glanced over a few minutes later, her cheeks were dry again. She turned towards him, but he quickly averted his eyes. The ferry docked and he waited about ten minutes for his lift. You must be Danny. "Uh Uh-huh. I'm taking you to your hotel. The meeting's at ten tomorrow. Sure, Danny said. So which one are you? The driver asked. Huh? Danny replied. The driver was young with dreadlocks and a bright shirt. A smile of wide, white teeth shone out from his dark skin. There are only three kinds of workers who come here. Missionaries, mercenaries and madmen. Which one are you? Danny couldn't answer. His lack of reply seemed to discourage the driver from saying more. They reached the hotel a couple of minutes later. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll pick you up at 5 two. okay? The car drove away, leaving Danny to find his room. In the afternoon, he walked up to the Grinhill Fort and then visited Gaptitui, the cultural museum. He spent the rest of the day on emails and preparing the agenda for his meeting in the morning. Dinner was good. He had fish and salad and he turned in early, tired after his trip from Brisbane. Not so far away, Jamie Wangai, the other solo traveller on the ferry that afternoon, had just reached her front door when it was flung open by her father, Billy. He wrapped her up in his arms, perhaps too hard. Oh, Dad. He took a step back to look at her. You staying long? He asked. She shrugged. Billy ushered her indoors. It's good to see you, my girl. How's it going down in Brisbane? I'm passing my exams and the store wants to promote me, so I must be doing something right. What about you? Same old, same old, you know, Billy said. She started crying and Billy reached out and put his arms around her again, more gently this time. I didn't know if you were going to come, he said. It's so hard without mum, she told him. The fairy was real bad. All I wanted was for her to be waiting for me. They sat down at the small kitchen table. It's too quiet around here now, he said. As if to prove him right, there was silence between them for a while. Eventually, Jamie spoke again. You got the money for her tombstone yet? The question hung in the air between them. Billy looked out the window and then back at Jamie. It's been real hard, daughter. I've been trying to save. I need to ask a few more people for help. I knew I shouldn't have left it to you, Jamie said. Billy looked at her sad-eyed. The words weren't spoken cruelly, just with honesty, and he nodded slowly. I meant to do better, he said. Don't worry, Dad, we'll do it together. Billy's eyes misted up. Don't you start, Jamie said. You'll have us both emotional wrecks. Billy opened the kitchen drawer. He pulled out something wrapped in brown paper. Jamie held the parcel. She made a show of trying to work out what it was by feeling through the paper. Is it a puppy, this one? She joked. Billy laughed. Go on, open it. Jamie ripped the paper apart, smiling. She became serious again once she realised what she was holding. It's mum's angel. It was made of blue ceramic and about as big as a mango. It had been broken and carefully glued back together, although a few pieces, including one wing, were missing. She put it down on the table and looked away. Don't you want it? Her father asked. Of course I want it. She was holding it when she collapsed. It smashed. I tried to find all the pieces, he said. It must have taken you hours to glue it back together. A fair while, yeah, he said. She looked at the damaged thing and picked it up again. It was mum's favourite, she said, because it reminded her of you, her father said. I was so upset it was broken. I know, daughter. She cried again for a couple of minutes. Hey, I got something else to show you, he said after a while. He led her out to the back door towards the side fence and pointed. What's that? she asked. Under a low palm tree sat a garden node made of concrete. Its hat and shirt were painted green and its shorts were bright red. I found him on the beach yesterday. Billy was smiling, but Jamie still looked serious. Thought it might be a bit of company, you know, he said. Jamie shook her head. I've heard about these things. Once they get in, you can't get rid of them. Billy looked at the gnome. He thought it looked happy standing there silently with its shiny red nose. The following morning... Danny was taken to the meeting. It was in the community centre, a decent-sized hall, timber-lined with a small stage at one end. Some trestle tables had been set up with plastic chairs around them. About half of the chairs were empty. A tall woman came over to Danny. I'm Auntie Mary. There's a few can't make it and some are running late. Morning tea is at 11 so we better get started. Danny prepared to say his opening remarks. Auntie Mary cleared her throat. <clears> throat. Auntie Hen, will you do the welcome prayer? Danny sat down quickly as Auntie Hen stood. Almighty God, please bless this meeting today with your bounty and love. And welcome to Danny who has come to assist us. Please keep him safe in Jesus' name. Amen. A low mutter of amens to which Danny contributed. It was the first time he'd said amen since he was a child. He sat still and then realised their eyes were turned to him. Hi, he said. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Hen. My name's Danny Kitchener. I work for the Department of Premier and Cabinet in Brisbane. The Towards Tomorrow Strategy which the Premier intends to launch later this year, includes a wide-ranging community consultation. The Premier is very keen to hear your thoughts on what can be done to resolve the situation. Auntie Mary stood again. On behalf of the Association of Aunties, I want to thank the Premier for her interest. I think there's a lot we can achieve if we work together and if the government is prepared to commit the necessary resources. Danny looked at her. She stared back at him. My understanding is that the Premier is prepared to commit considerable resources, Danny told her. The Premier has asked me personally by email to consult with you so we can find a synergy to fix the problem permanently. Auntie Mary sat down. But then Auntie Hen stood up. It won't work unless the government really listens, she said. Danny nodded. I understand your concern, he said. I haven't been working in this area very long, but I know we need to work together if we're going to move the needle. I don't know if we'll decide on a top down initiative or a bottom up one or something in between. But, he added, the Premier has expressly said that we're to incentivise and empower the community wherever we can. We need to find a bespoke solution within the constraints of our policy platforms and the reality of the current budget situation, of course. No offence to you, Danny, Auntie Hen said, but we've heard this all before. Government men and women come here all the time with some great program. They say it's going to do this and that. A heap of promises are made and everything's supposed to end up rosy. But then the project suddenly ends or the minister changes or the director goes on extended leave or the funding disappears and we're right back where we started. Danny nodded again. This project is not going to disappear, he said. It's not the first time we heard that, Auntie Hen said. And when they disappear, we're not quite back where we started. We become less trusting. There was a general consensus that cynicism grew as trust was lessened. We're not going to let that happen, Danny said. The Premier is aware of your concern and has been very specific that it's going to be different this time. We're looking for an agile and sustainable return on investment that's going to become the new normal. Danny described how important this project was for the Premier and the email he'd had from her describing how she'd reflected on the situation and the need to find a next generation solution. He started talking about avoiding the low-hanging fruit for the more difficult mangoes higher up the tree. He mentioned an accordion management plan and the need to unpack previous failures. He went to add something about low-hanging mangoes again, but found he was hopelessly lost in his metaphor. Fortunately, he was interrupted by a knock on the door. He looked over to see two young women standing there holding large platters. They were ushered inside and took off the glad wrap. Time for a break, Auntie Hen said. The trays were full of sandwiches and tropical fruit. Do you like actual mangoes, Danny? Auntie Mary asked. Danny nodded, reaching for one. Let's say Grace first, Auntie Hen said. Billy was sitting cross-legged in the garden on his favourite rug. A couple of metres away under the shrub was the gnome. Billy stared at the gnome and the gnome stared back. After about 10 minutes, Billy moved the gnome towards the rear corner of the garden and returned to his rug. Satisfied, the little statue was now out of sight. It was a warm afternoon in an unbroken string of warm afternoons, and he laid back on the blanket. He was soon snoring loudly. When he woke up, the gnome was back under the bush. Jamie, Billy called. Jamie, come out of the kitchen. Did you move the gnome? he asked. Jamie shook her head. You're having a joke, aren't you? I put it up the back, Billy explained. I haven't touched it, Jamie said. Maybe you only dreamed you moved it. Billy looked for footprints on the ground around the gnome. Jamie looked as well. Then she bent forward to pick up something. What you got? Billy asked. I think it's part of Mum's angel. She was smiling as she fingered the tiny fragment. She looked up at Billy. It doesn't explain how the gnome moved though, he said. Perhaps someone came into the yard while you were sleeping. The dog would have barked. Well, I don't know, she answered. Jamie went back inside and sure enough, the piece of ceramic she had found was part of the angel. She wasted no time in supergluing it into place. Outside, Billy stared at the gnome. The gnome stared back. Both morning tea and lunch came and went and they were still discussing the government's resolve. Danny hoped they'd soon start working on the project. He spent more time justifying the Premier's intention. He'd also noticed there seemed to be friction between the two aunties, Mary and Hen. As soon as he'd reassure one, the other would come from a different angle and he'd have to explain the whole thing again. He eventually faced them over the empty platters. It's time to start discussing our options, he said. Auntie Mary stood. I think you've done a good job here today, Danny, she said. I was going to propose that we meet up again in the morning. I second your proposal, Mary, Auntie Hen said. We've had a lot to take in. I think it would be better to start fresh. The next morning they began with more prayers. As there were some new people at the table, Danny spent the time until morning tea going over what they'd spoken about the day before. He was feeling frustrated when the girls with the food platters turned up. On Mary's suggestion he went outside for a stroll along Douglas Street during the break. It was warm and bright and everything seemed to be moving slowly. He heard an outboard motor in the distance, the low mutter of people speaking in the language of the Torres Strait Island and the occasional chirp of a fruit bat. Once back at the table, he saw Auntie Mary looking at him intently. Do you have another question? he asked. You've said the government is serious about changing things and that this time it'll listen to our suggestions and attempt to implement them. In the past, it's often been the key things we've suggested that have been left out. How do we know it's going to be different this time? Danny thought. There's no denying that there have been mistakes made before, he said eventually. There's been a lot of money spent on schemes that haven't worked and on projects that have failed. Not spent? Wasted, Mary said. I guess sometimes you have to make mistakes before you find the right solution, he said. A few heads nodded. Maybe it doesn't matter what's happened before, as long as we fix it this time, he added. Sounds sensible to me, Auntie Mary said. There were mutterings around the table. Auntie Hen stood up. You don't speak for all of us, Mary. Calm down, Hen. We've all got a right to an opinion. If we can get back to the matter at hand, Danny said. Mary and Hen glared at each other and then at Danny and then both sat down. It's the government's job to fix it, isn't it? Auntie Hen said. We didn't create the problem and it shouldn't be up to us to solve it. Most of the heads at the table started nodding again. We're not asking you to solve it, Danny said. We're asking you for ideas to solve it, ideas that we can implement and roll out. You're asking us to do something the government hasn't been able to do with millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars over the years, Hen said. We're asking for your input, Danny said, feeling the words weren't strong enough. Are you suggesting it can't be solved, he added? The community of representatives looked to each other. We wouldn't be here if we thought that, Mary said. You agree, Hen? Auntie Hen didn't look up from the table but nodded. I think you need to talk to more people, Mary said. Everyone should have a say. You'll need to listen to all the islands. What's right here? might not be good for Badu or Saibai or any of the others. We can do that, Danny said. First thing, more consultation. What else? Auntie Mary, Auntie Hen and all the rest were silent. Danny looked beyond them, out the window where the sky was bright. The light was so intense it hurt. It has to be suitable for the whole community. Mary said after a while. Danny nodded. The room was quiet again. The community has to be in charge, Hen said. That's what we want too, Danny told her. With oversight, of course, he added, there has to be an audit trail. Who decides on the budget, Hen asked. That's the department, Danny explained. You tell us what we should spend it on, we tell you how much you can have, we work to a mutually agreeable amount. Again, nodded heads, people muttering, yao and okay. Danny noticed the two girls with the platters were already standing at the door. I think this has been a productive morning, he said. Everyone stood. That night, Billy went for a walk. He reached the hospital and found a sheltered spot. He unzipped his backpack and took out the gnome. He couldn't see anyone around. He hid it under some banana leaves, then patted it on the head and went home. He told Jamie what he'd done and she told him he was mad and then went to bed. In the morning, he felt a 100 kilos lighter. He made breakfast and yelled out to Jamie to get up. The radio was playing a happy song. Up the road near the Sullivan Place, some dogs were barking, but there were always dogs barking there, so he ignored it. When Jamie walked out from her room, Billy could see her cheeks were wet with tears. Oh, daughter, he said. She shrugged. It's been the same the whole time, Dad. I can't stop missing her. Billy put his arms around her. I feel like it's never gonna stop, she said. That I always have this sadness. I know what it's like, he said. She looked up at him. Yeah, I reckon you might, she said. He had an idea. Let's go fishing, he said. It'll take our minds off things. Jamie wiped her face. I suppose it can't hurt, she said. He smiled at her and went to the backyard to pick up his rug to take on the fishing trip. The gnome was back. It was sitting in the same spot it had been in yesterday. Billy stared at the gnome. Was it smiling? Billy grabbed his rug, went back inside and hurried Jamie along and headed for the boat. She was quiet as she walked and he worried about her. As they were about to push off from the beach, she saw something in the bottom of the boat that made her smile. Dad, it's another piece of the angel. Sure enough, it was the missing foot. I'm buggered if I know how it got there, he said. Must have got caught in my pocket or something and fell into the boat one day. She smiled the rest of the trip. There were bites from the moment they started and they quickly reeled in a couple of good-sized Spanish mackerel. After that it went quiet, but they sat in the boat for another hour, just enjoying being on the water. On the way home, Billy found a $50 note on the side of the road. They weren't near any houses and he didn't feel the need to try and find its owner. That evening, he cooked the fish in a coconut milk curry and it was sensational. The meeting in the community centre broke up after lunch. A few of the islanders were on another consultation group while some had business to attend to. Two expressed a desire to go fishing. Danny had been invited to an interagency committee, so he went to that instead. He sat in a room of 11 other public servants and introduced himself. There was a collective moan as he explained his mission from the Premier. We've heard all this before, one woman said. Her name was Merrill, and she was from Health. You've got to listen to the people working here, the ones on the ground. A lot of us have been involved here for a long time. Brian's been working here in the Straits since the 90s. Brian looked up from his iPad and nodded. What do you suggest? Danny asked. It depends, said Merrill. What sort of scale are you talking about? We're talking a long-term fix, Danny explained. We need to use buy-in from the community to benchmark a permanent solution. Brian looked up over the top of his glasses. It's broad scale, Danny continued. It uses a whole-of-government, whole-of-community approach. The feeling is that we have to go all-in if we want to see change. Sounds like a plan said Brian, lowering his head back to his screen. You're going to prepare a scoping paper? Merrill asked. Yes, Danny said. Of course, once we've developed a draft, it'll be fully referenced. Evaluation? When there's something to evaluate, yes, Danny said. And how long do you conceive the initial development process will take? The whole thing, not just your initial inquiries, but your deep dive, blueprinting and second round evaluation. Danny looked around the room. A few people were watching him. I've been told by the Premier to have something on paper within three months. Three months, Meryl said. Brian sniggered into his device. There was a knock on the door and the same two girls he'd seen at the community hall were standing there with trays of biscuits and tropical fruit. "Time for a break, I think," Merrill said. Billy was in the backyard staring at the gnome. The gnome was unmoving, as if it was staring back. No, the gnome was made of stone. It had no eyes. It couldn't be staring at him. Billy heard the screen door creak open and he turned to see Jamie standing there. I asked at the bank about a loan for Mum's headstone. I'll find out in a few days. I can't afford a loan, Jamie, he said. Not for you to pay off, for me, she answered. Billy turned back to the gnome. Just put it in the rubbish, Dad. Jamie told him: “That night was garbage night, and about 8:30 Billy picked up the gnome and dropped it in the bin. When he went out to the garden in the morning, the gnome was back in the same spot. "How do you explain that?" Billy said. "Come down, Dad," Jamie told him. "Maybe someone saw it in the bin and took it out because they thought there'd been a mistake." Billy didn't normally go to the club during the week but the gnome was rattling him. That night he won the badge draw, $280. He shouted a few drinks and paid a few debts but left while he still had money in his pocket. Once home he went in the garden and looked closely at the gnome. What's going on you pointy-headed bastard, he asked. The gnome sat silently in the shadows. Billy stared back at it, fingering the money in his pocket. ''You can't buy me,'' he said. ''The gnome, of course, said nothing.'' There were some new faces in the meeting the following morning. Auntie Mary introduced them, and Danny spent some time bringing them up to speed. Auntie Hen rolled her eyes when he started speaking. She'd occasionally chuckle at something on her phone, which irritated him. Will you be talking to the young people? Someone asked. Auntie Hen looked up, one eyebrow raised. I think we should have the youth involved in creating it, Auntie Hen said. It's going to affect them the most, after all. We can bring in the youth, Danny conceded, but we need to get something on paper, a framework. Well, then you'll need to include the counselors and the elders, the women and the men. It's cultural protocol, Auntie Mary said. Before long, there was general consensus that every group should be involved in writing the establishment document rather than just reviewing the first draft. Morning tea arrived and they broke up to eat. Once the meeting resumed, considerable time was spent in discussion of who should be contacted from each group. Danny sat quietly as various people were suggested. It was a long process because whenever Mary would suggest names, Hen would knock them back and nominate others. It wasn't until afternoon tea that a compromise was finally reached. Eventually they had a list of nearly 50 community representatives. Drafting an invitation to participate took until afternoon tea the following day. If we distribute this tomorrow, we can meet next week auntie mary said the weekend was still two days away but it made sense to postpone getting together again until monday on friday with time to kill danny walked right around the island which took a couple of hours then he went back to his hotel and logged into work Most of the time leading up to his visit to T.I. had been spent organising the logistics of the trip. Then he'd been inundated with email. Now there were only a few. He slowly shut the lid of his laptop and prepared for a slow weekend. Billy felt surprisingly nervous about putting the gnome in a sack. Like he was kidnapping a child. He left home early, hoping no one would see him and knowing that on the island there'd always be at least one pair of eyes watching from somewhere. He reached his little boat and dumped the sack unceremoniously in the front. He looked behind him, but except for a white man on a distant bench, he couldn't see anyone. He scanned the water in front. There were a few small ripples in the morning breeze but the swell wasn't anything to worry about. He dragged the boat down to the shore and pushed off. The motor started third go and he was soon on his way. Danny sat on a bench overlooking the water. He watched as someone in a tinny headed south. With the wind in his face he had two more days with nothing to do and wondered how he'd fill them. After about 15 minutes, Billy slowed the boat. A couple of gulls swooped and shrieked. Although he was a long way off the island, he again made sure he wasn't being watched. Then he dropped the sack into the sea. Sorry, little mate, he said. Then added, you'll be right. He had an image of the gnome being checked out by nosy fish. He watched the gulls splashing into the water. No sense in being out here and not throwing in a line, he thought. The birds were diving on bait fish and sure enough, he quickly hooked a couple of decent barramundi. Jamie was in the kitchen when he came home. I thought you were going to take the gnome with you. What? Billy asked. The gnome in the garden. Weren't you going to dump it in the water? Why'd you leave it behind? Billy ran outside and sure enough, in the usual spot, the gnome was sitting as still as ever. Little bastard, hissed Billy. As usual, the gnome remained silent. Someone's got to be playing a trick, he told Jamie. But who? You, Billy said, You swapped it for a rock before I left or you brought a few of them with you to play a trick on your old man. What are you talking about? Jamie asked. I didn't even know about the gnome when I left to come up here. How many did you bring with you? Billy asked. They're made of concrete. You have any idea how much the excess baggage charge would be? Jamie said. Billy pushed past Jamie and went into a room. He didn't have to look for more than two minutes to know there was nowhere Jamie could be hiding gnomes. ''If you're done now, do you want me to cook these fish?'' Jamie asked. Billy shook his head. ''I'm not hungry,'' he said. He went to the garden and sat on the rug. ''What do you want?'' he asked the gnome. The gnome didn't reply. ''What do you bloody want?'' Saturday was long. There were always jobs to do when Danny was at home, but there was nothing in his hotel room that needed attending to. He went and sat for a while on the shoreline, watching the water. It was relaxing to sit there, absorbing the sights. The warmth helped. Brisbane was a comfortable climate, but the tropics took it to a new level. He was wearing a thin shirt, shorts and thongs and that was all he needed. He sat for an hour without realising any time had passed. He decided that more leisure was in order so he booked a trip to the fried owl and pearl farm for the following day. Next morning he walked to the wharf and didn't mind the wait for the small boat that took him on the half an hour trip. I've left Thursday... On Sunday, for Friday, he thought, smiling. Jamie wasn't a great fan of Mundy and took them into town thinking she might be able to get a few dollars for them. She ran into Auntie Mary and they chatted for a while and Mary suggested she go and see Charlie Green, who was a well-known barrel lover. Although Charlie didn't have any cash, he traded the barra in a deal Jamie was happy with. On the way home, not far from her house, in the gravel of the driveway, she saw another tiny piece of angel. Finding it made her even happier. danny did the tour and ate at the pearl farm but the highlight of the day came down on the wharf where an old japanese man sat threading nets like fishing he asked danny nodded go on jag a sardine have a go danny must have looked puzzled the man walked over and picked up a short rod It was old and had no reel and was nothing more than a couple of metres of line with a few hooks attached. He lowered it into the water under the wharf and moved it up and down quickly a couple of times. When he pulled it up, there was a small fish skewered on one of the hooks. He wasted no time in threading the fish onto a larger hook on a nearby rod, which was in much better condition. A minute later he reeled in a rock cod. Danny thought it looked like a good size but the man grunted and threw it back in. It took Danny a few goes to get a sardine and a couple of attempts to catch what he thought was a decent sized fish. He'd never caught one before. The man laughed as it was smaller than the one he'd caught earlier. He let the man remove the hook and tossed the fish back in. It quickly swam away. Danny thought about feeling the pull of the fish on the line all the way back to Thursday Island. Billy was sitting in the kitchen when Jamie came in. You gonna cook them, Barra? Billy asked. Jamie shook her head. I took them down to Charlie Green's, swapped them for these. Billy's frown vanished. Oysters, he said happily when he saw them. You've done well, daughter. The two wasted no time. These are good, Billy said. Soon there was only one left. Go on, Billy said. You have it. I'm full, Jamie laughed. It's yours. You know you want it. Billy looked across at her and smiled. He opened the oyster and sucked it into his mouth. He chewed slowly, savouring the flavour. And then... Oh! What is it? Jamie asked. Bit down on something hard. Must be a bit of shell. But it was a black pearl, the circumference of his forefinger. Sweet Mary, mother of God, Billy said. He was not usually a man who spoke this way. He looked at the dark, lustrous thing, turning it over in his fingers. What do you reckon it's worth? Jamie asked. Enough for Mum's tombstone, I'd say, Billy told her. Jamie nodded. Billy looked to the back door. I wonder if that short ass bastard out there has anything to do with it, he muttered. Auntie Mary and Auntie Hen organized the consultation sessions so that Danny was busy. Almost too busy for most of the following few weeks. The catering budget increased significantly. Island Rooster called back twice to confirm numbers. Some, like Auntie Mary, looked forward to their chance to contribute. Others, like Auntie Hen, were more cynical. Sometimes meetings became little more than heated discussions. Between the two women, Danny found himself siding with first one and then the other as the discussion went back and forth. Sometimes he was full of hope and enthusiasm as he listened to Auntie Mary. She'd discussed the potential for a wide ranging plan which was sufficiently resourced. Other times he realized he was supporting Auntie Hen, who was arguing against ideas she'd seen fail before. Danny found his initial dislike of finishing meetings early faded as the days rolled on. The endless talking and his confused loyalties took their toll. He found himself staring at the bright light outside the hall door more and more. He began to happily endorse suggestions for breaks and even proposed a few himself. Eventually, however, the two different sides recognised they were slowly creeping towards a middle ground. Mary's enthusiasts, as Danny secretly called them, were prepared to create a draft template, while Hen's cynics had run out of arguments for failure. One afternoon, Auntie Mary came to him and said they need the next day off. Island business was all she would say. Danny didn't argue with her. This second enforced long weekend was his most pleasant so far. He had planned a long walk for Friday but only got as far as strolling up Douglas Street. He ran into Mary and Hen in a cafe and ended up joining them for a long lunch. They left after a while and eventually he wandered back to his hotel. On the way he fancied he could hear a hymn sung by many voices coming from somewhere a long way off. He reached his room, intending to only lie down for five minutes, and ended up sleeping for the rest of the afternoon. On Saturday, he ended up being invited on a trip to Badu Island. It felt like a holiday on Badu after how busy it had been on T.I. He remembered how T.I. had initially felt like a holiday after Brisbane. On the Sunday, he walked to the docks and watched the fairy come in and out and waved hello to some people he'd recognised from the meetings. A few came over and said hello. In the evening over dinner, he realised he hadn't been bored for the whole weekend. The buyer agreed that the pearl was a beauty, possibly the nicest he'd ever seen from the strait. Billy looked at his bank account that night and rang the stonemason the next morning. He'd ordered the tombstone months ago and had made a few payments, but now he was able to clear up the balance. He was in tears when he ended the call, thankful that the formalities were at last underway. He went to his now customary spot in the backyard and sat on the blanket in the shade. He stared at the gnome. Was the gnome's grin a fraction wider than he remembered? How could that be? Concrete gnomes couldn't smile any more than they could walk. But this one, somehow, appeared to have the ability to move at will, whether from one end of the garden or across the bottom of the sea. Billy held out his mug of tea and raised it as in a toast. Esor, Billy said at last. That means thank you in our lingo, he added. He looked at the gnome again. The same unrelenting stone stem met his gaze. Billy's own smile grew broader as he thought of something. Looks like you're staying, he said. Somewhere in the distance a gull squawked noisily. Well, I've got an idea, Billy said. Danny's hand grew tired from all the notes he took as each group made their proposals. The women wanted more prayers and less alcohol. The men wanted more fishing rights. The youth wanted access to education. The professionals wanted better health infrastructure. And everyone wanted more jobs and lower prices and more money and greater autonomy for the islands. Eventually both Auntie Mary and Auntie Hen conceded the job was done. As if proof the process was complete, Danny signed the final catering invoice. He felt sad as the two girls he'd come to know quite well smiled at him and departed for the last time. A few remaining meeting participants stacked chairs and cleared up rubbish as he collected the scrawled notes on the writing pads and the reams of butcher's paper with its brightly coloured block letter title lists boldly drawn arrows underlined words and exclamation points he wondered how on earth he'd ever compile them into a discussion paper Billy carried out his plan and then called Jamie outside. Come and see, he said. are Deadly, Jamie told him. That looks good, Dad. I know, he agreed. You don't think some people might find it wrong, though? Billy shrugged. This is between me and him, he said. Jamie bent forward for a closer look. Billy had tied a grass skirt around the gnome's waist and had decorated him with traditional ornaments. He'd even made a custom-sized durry headdress. But why? Jamie asked after a while. Billy shrugged. Because I think the bastard's gonna stay, he told her. And if he's gonna stay, he's gonna stay on my terms. Billy rushed out of bed the next morning, and was relieved to see the gnome was unchanged. Although the diary disappeared in the wind one night, Billy was satisfied his message had gotten through. He was happy for one other reason too, although it took another day to arrive. Billy was outside the bank when he ran into Auntie Mary. Haven't seen you for a while, he said. Been busy, consultation group. Another one, he asked. New one, starting on Wednesday too. It's flat out, Billy. Wouldn't mind a rest and a chance for some fishing, but they just don't stop. Billy leaned back against the wall. What was it for? The one you just had. Mary smiled. This bloke came from the Premier. Billy laughed. And you and Hen did your usual double act to string it out a bit longer, I suppose. Mary looked to Hen across the street. She smiled and waved, and Hen waved back. We helped to create a robust and productive debate, she told Billy. We have to be very thorough. Also, they paid us and fed us. I guess you might say it was low-hanging fruit, in the words of the government bloke. You're a bad woman, he said. Mary shook her head. What we told him was real, but it was the same stuff we tell all of them. Maybe one day they'll listen. Billy looked across the road where Auntie Hen was talking to some people. That was a beautiful service the other day, Mary said. We did Bessie proud, Billy replied, now serious and wiping a sudden tear away. Jamie's staying around? Mary asked. Billy shook his head. Just saw her off at the ferry, he said. She all right? When she came back, I didn't know how I was going to help her, Billy said. I think coming home did her good. Let her grieve a bit, like she should. She's on her way now, although there's still more pieces of herself left to find. Mary put her hand on Billy's arm. I'm glad to hear it. She's a good kid. The wind blew warmly along the quiet street. Somewhere in the distance they could hear children's voices. Further away, the noise of the ferry motor. What about you, Billy? You all right? We haven't seen much of you lately. Billy smiled. Seems like I might have turned a corner as well. Had some help I didn't expect from a bloke I didn't know. I've realised I need to get out and do a bit more. Glad to hear it, Mary said. You ever want to come on a committee, let me know. I'll put you on the waiting list. (laughs) Billy smiled. All right then. Mary went to walk away and then turned back to Billy. Jamie needs a husband. That's what she needs now. Reckon you might be right, Billy said. We've had a bit of good luck lately. I guess you never know what's going to happen next. Danny waited at the hotel door. The driver was late, but he didn't mind. Eventually, the same young kid who had met him at the ferry on the first day turned up. How'd you go? Get what you came for? Danny shrugged. Did you work out which one you were? He asked Danny. Madman? mercenary or missionary? I'm neither, thought Danny. I'm a messenger, if anything. But he remained silent. At the wharf, Danny saw there was an island girl walking in front of him. He recognised her as the girl who'd been crying on the ferry the day he'd arrived. They'd reached the end of the wharf and stood there silently waiting. Then he saw something on the timber He bent down to pick it up and saw the girl was watching him. What do you reckon this is? He asked. It was shiny blue and hard. A tiny wing. She took it from him, running her fingers over it, looking at him deeply. Do you want it? He asked. She nodded. It's yours, he said, and then introduced himself. I'm Jamie, Jamie said. You heading back to Cairns? Danny asked. Brisbane, actually, Jamie said. I'm at uni there. I'm going to Brisbane too, Danny said. What brings you up this way? Jamie asked. Been working on a project, doing some community consultation. That must have been interesting. What was it about, if you don't mind me asking? Danny looked to Jamie. He felt she had incredibly deep eyes. He glanced away to the water. It was a wide ranging brief which had a great response from the community, so there's a lot of material to explore going forward, he said. You didn't work with Auntie Mary or Auntie Hen, did you? Both of them, actually. Jamie smiled. They kept chatting all the way to the airport. They were still talking while they waited in the queue to check in for the flight south. When they reached the front of the line, Danny put his ticket on the counter. The check-in attendant looked to him and then to Jamie. You together? he asked. Danny looked to Jamie and she smiled. Yes, Danny said.
0: That was Sylvia Tabua reading on Thursday. It was recorded on Thursday Island and was mastered at King Sound Studios. The music was by Trevor Brown. Please check out his website. There's links from earmovies.com. Season 2 of Ear Movies is brought to you in a shameless plug for my audiobook Charlie's Wives, read by Robert Hansen. Based on a true fragment of history, Charlie Brewster writes letters for African-American army wives to their husbands at the front during the American Civil War. In a world of violence and PTSD, he starts to learn about intimacy and women. Sitting under canvas far from Northampton, craving nothing more than contact from home, hating once more that his name hasn't been mentioned during mail call, Charlie weeps silently. No letters. Again. Cal bursts in. He always bursts. It is his nature. Secesh over the creek. Raiding party. We're going to chase after them. You want to come? Charlie wipes his face surreptitiously, grabs his rifle more overtly, and nods vigorously. He pities those Rebs. How determinedly he will shoot them, whatever their protests or pleas. It is too damn easy to go to war some days. You can buy Charlie's Wives from Audible, or get the hard copy from Amazon or the e-book from Kindle. There are links on the Ear Movies website. Please come back for more of Conversations with Buck Thumper, Season 2 of Ear Movies. I'm Simon Lockhurst. Thanks for listening.